Greetings, writer strike and actor strike supporters. Yo. And welcome back to Tune Out. This will be a podcast that we do instead of Stay Doomed to support the ongoing strike. I'm your host, as always, TV's No Hulahan, joined, as always, by Laura Prince. Yo. This week on the show, our wonderful patrons have asked us for our book recommendations. We're going to take that in slightly a different direction, and these are the five books that made us. Yes. Yes. So we're going to go through the five books that throughout our lives have had the most impact. Uh, I want to bring up one as like an honorable mention. Two, like, I want to bring up one as an honorable mention first. I don't really, I can't bring myself to support Harry Potter anymore. Mm-hmm. But I feel like I would feel duplicitous not acknowledging the fact that five years ago it absolutely would have been at the top of this list. Yeah. Yeah, I, a lot of my like social circles, a lot of my childhood and teenage memories are closely interwoven with this franchise. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, in a way, it's something that made me because it was one of the first things I had to really grow mm-hmm. up and leave behind. Yeah. In a way that we talk, we've talked about this with millennials and culture. In a way, you really haven't had to leave that much behind. Mm-hmm. This is something I actually had to make the decision to be like, I... I can't support this anymore. That makes sense. So that, that was just something like I wanted to say like off the bat because it's not going to be in my five. Mm-hmm. I'll throw out an honor- honorable uh, mention as well. Uh, this like just missed my five, uh, but it's a book that I love dearly and I've read multiple times and I'm always like, I'm going to read the sequel next and then I never do. And that's the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy. Okay. Uh, it's interesting. I think if someone were to just run up to me and quickly go, what's your favorite book? I would say The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, but it didn't make this list. That's fair. So uh, let's let's make our way through this list. These are the five books that made us. So for my first one, I wanted one from when I was a child. Okay. So... Uh, I very, I, I almost picked the Animorphs as a series, but I, I didn't. I kind of assumed you would. I I felt a little bit like that was cheat. Like I felt like that was cheating for some reason to pick like a whole series. Mine's gonna be a f- full series. The first, the first one I'm saying is a full series of books. So, so uh, the one I was gonna pick was Invitation to the Game by okay. Monica Hughes. It's. Absolutely the type of book. It's written at like a child uh, level, so I don't right. think you would enjoy it. But if the language was aged up a little bit, you would be all over this book. Okay. I feel like I've heard you speak about this book before, but it doesn't... I'm not sure exactly what it's about. You graduate... It, this is like proto-dystopian literature. Okay. Like, if you grew up to like The Hunger Games and Divergent, read Invitation to the Game. Mm-hmm. You go to school, you graduate, and you are assigned a job. Unless you're not. If you're not assigned a job, you kind of get put in these, like, rough neighborhoods with a few other kids. And all you have is each other and, like, government-issued supply. Hmm. Uh, So, they're kind of like, okay, you know, we have to stay in our neighborhood. 
and we have to like band together and become a family. Okay. And it's interesting the plot intro to uh, the plot intro on Wikipedia does not. I'm gonna we're gonna talk about spoilers for all of these books, by the way. Okay. So they eventually the ten kids who this is about they're all sixteen, seventeen years old, and they finally kind of form a household and form a little family. And they start getting these invitations to the game. And it's like a very elaborate VR. Hmm. And if you die in the game, you're brought back uh, to the room. Okay. Like your whole, once someone dies in game, everyone's brought back. Okay. And they go longer and longer and longer in the game. And then one time someone gets hurt, and they don't go back. And we find out that we are now colonizing other planets this way. Oh, weird. These unemployed children were not chosen to be unemployed because they did not have the skills to be employed. Uh, They were chosen to be colonists. Uh, Because one guy has a rich dad who tries to pull strings, and he's supposed to be in their neighborhood. Hmm. And he gets pulled by his dad who pulls a string at the last second. And then one day he just shows up and says, like, they made me come here. Interesting. It's it's really, really interesting. I really... It was one of the first books that had heavy, heavy world building. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a very good world builder, but I really appreciate it as a... Uh, I really appreciate it as a skill. Mm-hmm. So this was one of my favorite uh, books growing up. I uh, I did Battle of the Books. Right. Which, if you don't know what Battle of the Books is, you probably had friends in school. Uh, Battle of the Books was you would each pick a book. And there's usually like seven books to a five-person team. So you, you'd pick two or three that you got good at. And then you would answer trivia questions about the books. Yes. I remember hearing about this. I never did it. Yeah. Somewhere there's a medal. For Battle of the Books oh, really? in this apartment. Because um, I did Battle of the Books and was quite good at it. Awesome. Yeah, I love yeah. it. I remember that happening in my school. And I th- believe the book was Walk of Two Moons, which I did eventually read and greatly enjoyed. Uh, so my turn? Yes. So I'm also going to go with something that I read as a child. It was really like the first book that I remember like getting super duper into and like really liking. And uh, for those of you who don't know, I am dyslexic, so like getting into reading is very difficult for me. Uh, but this book, just because it was a collection of short stories, I never felt like too overwhelmed by it. And that is all the books for Encyclopedia Brown. Okay. I loved Encyclopedia Brown. Um and if you don't know, they're just like little short stories about Encyclopedia Brown and his friend. And he solves like little mysteries. And he's super smart. And like every story was only like a few pages long. Yes. Uh, and like there's little things uh, about it that like I remember really sticking with me. Uh, one, there, there was like one that had a puzzle in it. And it was... What is the only word in the English language that has three consecutive double letters? Three 
give you some time to think of that one. I can only think of one Dev too. Because like I remember like it was it was like the puzzle was like come up with words that uh, have consecutive double letters, and some people came out with raccoon. Some people came up with balloon. Yeah. But the best thing, Baboon. Baboon. The the best word you could write was bookkeeper. Okay. And like the puzzle involved like the, the mystery involved like someone rigging the game. Yeah. That they were playing and like the girl who came in second got that question wrong, but her nickname was Bookkeeper. <laughs> it was like it was weird. Uh, but like that little fact always stuck with me. And uh, when I got a little bit older, we actually did Encyclopedia Brown as a play. Oh, good. And I actually got to play Encyclopedia Brown. Yay. And the story was like, someone stole a necklace and then tied it to an arrow and shot it out a window. And we didn't know who did it. So uh, Encyclopedia Brown, or me in this case... Uh, walks by the steps and goes, uh, I know where the jewelry is. It is a short flight away. And the one guy goes, well, then go outside and get it. And that's an admission of guilt because most people would think flight of stairs, not flight of an arrow. (laughs) So he must have had, like, extra knowledge. And it was great because it was the first show that I did where... There was crowd participation. Okay. Because there, it would end with me going, I know what happened, but do you? And then I would have to, like, talk to the crowd. <laughs> and, like, some people would make guesses. And, like, there was one time I remember where nobody had a guess. And, like, it was just silence. And I just instinctively went, look, there's a certain amount of time we have to fill. So someone needs to guess something. And it was, like, the first, like, little bit of stand-up I did. So, that that's why Encyclopedia Brown means so much to me. Aww. That's so cute. Thank you. What's your, what's your second book? So, my second one... Uh, I, I'm trying to decide what order I want to go in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm kind of going in chronological order of when I read them. Okay. This is my favorite book. Though I have never read it. Mm. That is the opening line to William Goldman's The Princess Bride. The Princess Bride, Bride, yeah. Uh, If you've only seen the movie, go read the book. Mm -hmm. The book is... The movie is great. The movie is one of the greatest movies of all time. The book is better. Mm -hmm. Uh, The book was also my very first foray into getting real meta. Yeah. Because the book is an abridged version uh, there is no unabridged version. Right. It's William Goldman abridging the book his immigrant father read to him. Mm-hmm. And when he finally reads it as an adult, he realizes that his father had left out a lot. Mm-hmm. And that there's a really good reason his father left all of it out. Because S. Morgenstern, who he claims wrote The Princess Bride, wrote a bunch of like contemporary political satire. Mm-hmm. And boring fashion notes and uh, left no detail to the imagination. And so he edits it down to, quote, the good parts version. Yeah. And in this version, there's also a uh, a frame story of him trying to get the movie made in the mm-hmm. edition I have. I have a slightly later edition of the book. 
It's also one of the few books I've owned multiple editions of. Right. My first copy died in a tragic home ec accident. Of we spilled high school home ec mac and cheese all over it. Uh, which is, you know. Yeah, I I need to read that. Because The Princess Bride is credited as being the first piece of unfiction or ARG fiction. There's a, there's a piece from this book that, even though I haven't read it, I know this one scene that lives up in my brain. Uh, where Wesley, you'll probably know this part, Wesley falls down a well of some sort. Mm-hmm. And he yells up to Buttercup. And, Don't come down. And well, yeah, Buttercup can't hear him, so she jumps down. And she's like, what did you say? I said, whatever you do, don't come down here. And she's like, well, we can just climb out. And he just says, I'm tired, Buttercup. And that, for some reason, that line lives in my brain. Yeah. I'm tired, Buttercup. Well, because we don't usually get to see the dashing hero need a minute. Yeah. Which we get a lot, actually, with Wesley through the book. Right. Uh, Well, through the book, we get even more. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, we get a little bit more of the bickering between Buttercup and the Dread Pirate Roberts, mm-hmm. uh, which is down to like one very, very good scene in the movie, but there's a little bit more of it. Yeah. And it's just, it's fantastic. We don't have the same, uh, we don't have the exact same way of doing Inigo Montoya's storyline. Hmm. Uh, instead of... The way it's done, there's something called the Zoo of Death. Ooh. And there's a great moment with the Zoo of Death of it's all these big animals, and they have to fight all these big, scary animals. But if you get through all of those, there's a poisonous spider in a keyhole, and no one's going to get past that. Hmm. And then Inigo Montoya, like, hits the door by accident, knocks the spider out, and doesn't even notice it and steps on it. Huh. But for, like, six pages, it was like he was 50 paces from death. Oh, he God, was 25 so paces from, and then he just accidentally stomps it. Like he doesn't even like make a conscious like, oh, I've killed the beast. Mm. It's like a ew. That's great. <laughs> it's that is great. An incredibly beautiful book, and it's. Uh, I then also had another version of it that I wrote in and lent to somebody who lost it, and now I have like a fancy one. Yeah. So I I've had multiple copies of this book over the years. It was. One of my all-time favorite books. It's one of two I had a written-in copy of. Uh, the other one being The Perks of Being a Wallflower. Okay. I feel like I'm cheating and adding, like, a second... Yeah, yeah. I'm it. adding a second book in every... Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Like, I wanted to mention Matilda and didn't. Yeah, I get you. So... Oh, yeah. I actually used to read a lot of Ronald Dahl as Roll. well. Ronald. Rolled. I've read Ronald. Okay. <laughs> Fair. Uh, so my second book... If you guys know anything about me, uh, I do tour nerd conventions and do nerd comedy. Uh, I'm a big fan of nerdy things. I like, you know, sci-fi and stuff like that. So I think it comes to a surprise that my favorite genre of book is autobiography. Yeah, and you actually, you really don't like high fantasy at all. I don't like high fantasy at all, and I actually struggle with reading uh, sci-fi because, again, as a dyslexic, including words that are not words, it's a big turnoff for me. You have a really hard time with them. So I've read quite a few autobiographies, and I enjoy them. So 
I think the first one that really got me started was Mick Foley's Mankind. Okay. Uh, it is a autobiography of Mick Foley, and the it's just his journey in professional wrestling. And what I find like really beautiful about his book is his book is the first WWE autobiography. Really? Yeah. I feel like everyone in their cat has a book. Oh yeah, but not back then. Uh, there may have been like, but it was like the first one released through the WWE. Okay. And Mick writes his, and then afterwards there's like a Rock, a Shawn Michaels, uh, a Stone Cold, and they all use a ghostwriter. Right. Mick Foley hand wrote his entire book. And like, he, he just loved doing it. And like, you can hear his voice and... I love Mick Foley as a writer, but you can tell he's not a writer. Yes. And, like, it kind of filled me with this, like, oh, this is a real person feeling. And, like, oh, anyone can do this type feeling. Uh, It's, like, there's a moment in it that really speaks to me where in the middle of writing it, he, he is backstage writing this book. I love that. Uh, the night Owen Hart dies. Oh, I hate that. And there's a chapter that like ends abruptly and then starts being about Owen Hart. Oh. Because he's writing it in real time. Like, oh. there, there's some like very interesting beats like that in it. Oh. Uh, so I highly recommend it. Uh, to, to throw some other books, Chris Jericho's books are... So good. I've, I've only read, read one wrestler autobiography. Oh yeah, Mox, right? Yeah, I bought it for you. And I didn't feel like like I didn't feel like leaving that room for a book, so I just read Mox. Yeah, unfortunately Mox chose a font that I struggle with. So I actually haven't read Mox's book. I read the Young Bucks, which was pretty good, but uh, Mick Foley got me started on all of those books, so shout out to him and his book Mankind. What do you think? So, uh, the next one is also a book I read in high school, but one I have very much carried with me. Mm-hmm. Carried with me. Oh, boy. Uh, one of my all-time... And again, uh, this is such a very... It, this is a big genre shift for me, because this isn't one you would expect from me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is The Things They Carried by Tim O'Brien. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Things They Carried by Tim O'Brien is... Just one that I have always kind of had with me. In my AP literature class in high school, uh, if you've ever taken an AP class, everything is to this test that's in early May. Mm-hmm. Then after that, your teacher kind of has to just entertain you for a month. <laughs> so they, they just kind of have to like find stuff for you to do. Right. Especially because you still need a fourth marking period grade. Right. And usually like... You still have, like, six weeks of school after these tests. So they need to find something to do with you. Mm -hmm. And one of the assignments we got was he gave us a list of books. And everybody had to choose one. Mm -hmm. Everyone chose Dracula except for me. (laughs) Uh, Dracula or, I want to say, Pride and Prejudice. Where it's the other Mm -hmm. one that people chose. I've read both of those books. As have I. (laughs) Uh, But I chose the things they carried. And I, I'm like looking over because I'm pretty sure there's a copy of it somewhere nearby. If not, oh, I see it. 
Uh, if not, it's in my bedroom. But I just, I go back to this book every so often, mm-hmm. still, as an adult. Like, there's, it's one of the first non-linear narrative books. It's written as sort of a series of short stories about mm-hmm. the different people in this one core in the Vietnam War. Yes. Have you read this book? I attempted to and was unable to. Uh, again, making the dyslexia excuse, uh, I really struggle with books without character names because I need to be able to picture people in my head. And this one is a lot of like the... Oh, wait. I might actually be confusing this with... Uh, uh, you are. Magic Courage. You are because all of these characters have names. Jimmy Cross, Ted Lavender, uh, Boker... Jensen, Strunk. Is this... Because... It's either... Because I remember struggling with both of those books. This might be the one that doesn't have dialogue correctly tagged. Yes. Yeah, yeah. The the lack of dialogue. This one has a lot of weird... Uh, a lot of weird punctuation quirks. Yes, that that's what I struggled with. Uh, Red Badge of Curry did all like the loud soldier... And the tall soldier and stuff, which does yeah. not compute with me. But this one had like very a very unique way of doing someone speaking, right? And it did not jive with my brain. So, but ever, there are all of these short stories, and they're non-linear. Mm-hmm. They just each kind of focus on a different person, and a lot of the men don't make it through, and the one who's the ones who do. O'Brien also like tells you what happens to some of them. Mm-hmm. It's not pure fiction, and it's not pure nonfiction. Okay, because uh, he has a memoir, uh, which I've actually never read because I'm worried that I'm not gonna. Uh, I'm worried that it will affect how I feel about the things they carried. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I I've only read. The novel, the short story is not his real memoir. Gotcha. Uh, but I do love this. I, I deeply love this book. And it's something that's so out of my usual genre. Yeah. So I, I wanted to kind of give that a... That's a good pick. It's a good pick. Uh, I'm going to, to break the seal and pick a comic book now. Okay. Uh, when it comes to my absolute favorite uh, comic book character, there's a lot that I really love. I love Kate Bishop. Uh, I love Spider-Man. Okay. Uh, Watchmen, of course, is great. But my absolute favorite is Batman and the Joker. Okay. Not Batman. Not the Joker. But them together. Them together is so good. And I've read so many like, incredible Batman-Joker stories. Uh, Lovers and Mad Men is super good. Uh, It's a retelling of the the origin story. There's a really good, like, fan-made one that opens with the Joker killing Alfred. Oof. That's, like, it's really solid. And then, like, what happens is, like, a stand-up bit? It's, it's, like, really interesting. Uh, but my absolute favorite is one that I don't think a lot of people know. Uh, and I thought for the longest time it was called Batman Gone Sane. But I believe it's actually called Batman Gone Insane. Which okay. makes 
more sense lyrically or uh, linguistically, but I thought Gone Sane was such a good title for this. Yeah, I actually, I thought that was the point. Yeah. If you want to read this, skip ahead five minutes in this podcast. Uh, But the tale of Batman Gone Insane is... uh, I think you might still have it wrong. Do I still have it wrong? It's Batman Going Sane. Going Sane. Okay. Going, going, sane. Uh, So it is the tale of Batman and the Joker once again at each other's throats. But this time, the Joker kills Batman. And without Batman, there doesn't need to be a Joker. So the Joker just, like, tries to figure out what to do with his life without Batman. And he just becomes like a normal guy who, like, finds a girl he likes. And they listen to old, like, 1930s, like, radio plays. And he just kind of becomes this normal dude. If you want to read this, read the move ahead three minutes in this podcast. Uh, So, Batman, of course, doesn't stay dead. Yeah. Uh, But, like, they always use the phrasing, he killed me. It's not like, oh, he thought he killed me. Batman, like, refers to himself as someone who had died. Yeah. And when he, like, comes back and he's, like, nursed back to health, he knows that the Joker is gone. But he's Batman. Yeah. he's the great detective. And there's this great moment where he's just kind of like, please... Joker, make it so I can't find you. But because he's the great detective, he finds him. And it's it's this great telling of like Batman needs the Joker and the Joker needs Batman. And without you, like you remove one, you remove both. And this idea that like Batman sees like to Batman, Gotham City is a living body, and he is going to destroy any anomaly that's in it. But he doesn't realize that at times he's just picking a scab. Yeah. And, like, he could have just let it heal on its own, but he can't do that because he's Batman. I mean, like, using, it's such a good story. <laughs> like, using the Gotham City as a body analogy, the idea of, like, some of the rogues gallery being a cancer. Mm-hmm. But Batman's the radiation. Mm-hmm. And you know what radiation can cause? Cancer. Cancer. Yeah. So, yeah, it, I, I dig that. Like, just, I've always been against Joker without Batman. Like, I saw the Joaquin Phoenix movie. I thought it was okay. But I don't think it's the Joker. Okay. Because the Joker needs Batman. Because I got into an argument on another podcast about how... This relationship is better displayed between Spider-Man and the Ven- and Venom. That Venom can't exist without Spider-Man and Spider-Man can't exist without Venom. And I called him a crazy person. <laughs> because Batman and the Joker, I think, is a more iconic pair than Batman and Robin. Yeah. So that's my pick. Okay. For my next pick... I've gone back and forth and around and around on this. Mm -hmm. Uh, It turns out the pattern I'm seeing here is that I love books that have weird formats. Okay. Uh, Because I was like, I want a Stephen King book on here. Because I've read a lot of Stephen King. Mm -hmm. And at first I was like, I'm going to do the Dark Tower series. 
But then I was like, there's like three books in that series I do not like very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Drawing of Three took me forever to get through. And uh, the sixth one, not the last one, the sixth one, um, Song of Susanna took me forever to get through. Mm-hmm. So... I, the the Dark Tower ones I loved, I loved. Like, Wolves of the Kaya, um, Wizard and Glass, and uh, Dark Tower in particular, I really enjoyed. Yeah. But I'm gonna pick Carrie. Ooh, Carrie's great, though. Um, Carrie, I again, I read this very, very young. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of these, because we, we're talking about the books that like we feel like made us who we are, mm-hmm. uh, I'm focusing a lot on books I read fairly young. I was a bullied kid. Yeah. And like, there was a, a lot to, a lot of baggage for a bullied kid to read Carrie. Mm-hmm. And I was just really like, I also really, have you ever read Carrie? I've never read Carrie. So again, like the other books so far outside of Invitation to the Game, it's done in a very odd format. Mm. Uh, the way the book Carrie is presented, it's part epistolary, like it's part letters. Ah, like Dracula. And it's part excerpts from Sue Snell's book, because hmm. she's the survivor of the prom massacre. Mm. Uh, so it's different pieces, like, put together to create the story. Uh, and some of it is also just regular prose. Like, Interesting. Some of it is news reports. And so it's really fun to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a really fun read in that way of the ending is such a good horror ending to me. The ending is a letter about a different kid with the same powers as Carrie. Mm. So kind of being like, this will go on forever. Yeah. And her name was Matilda. <sighs> no, no, I think, I, no. <laughs> I just, I, I love the idea of Carrie, or of Matilda being Carrie Jr. And the the other thing with Carrie is, I also really like musical theater. <laughs> and I found out in high school they had made a Carrie musical. That's great, right? Yeah, that is great. Um, Carrie the I Musical hope it doesn't flop. <laughs> Carrie the Musical is such a legendary flop. The literal book on flops is called Not Since Carrie. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a fascinating thing. Uh, they did revise Carrie the Musical mm-hmm. not long ago, and it's gotten a little bit of like a second life in that way because they finally cleaned up some of the issues with it. Mm. And because I must, and because it's over, there was an episode of Riverdale based around Carrie. So Carrie's also, and like my, you know, mimetic love-hate of Riverdale, my Mm. love of musical theater, Carrie has just kind of found its way through my life in general. Gotcha. Uh, To the point where we have discussed if we ever were doing iconic horror characters as costumes, I would probably just be Carrie. Yeah, Carrie's a good choice. All right. That's a great great pick. Uh, This is probably the most obscure book. That we will talk about. Okay. Uh, this book, like, came out of nowhere in my life and and has really, like, left an impression. Uh, it is Erica Austin's 
Against the Grain. Okay. It is a comic book about a little girl who is not your typical little girl. Okay. She likes, you know, laser swords and she's nerdy and like it's a very day in the life. It honestly might have started its life as a webcomic. Okay. And then has been printed. Uh, but like one of the stories I remember is about her writing a story for class and getting a low grade because it was weird. And I love the story. I thought the, the art in it is fantastic. It's very slice of life and very relatable. But the reason it really sticks with me is I was performing at C2E2 in Chicago. Okay. And while I was walking the con floor, somebody ran up to me and just said, here, take this. And threw it in my bag. And I always talk about this book whenever I get the opportunity. And there's something kind of nice to me of like, that moment at a at a Comic-Con is something that happens all the time. Yeah. Where it's just like, here, take this advertisement. Here, take this flyer. Here, take this book. The person who wrote this has no idea that I am constantly singing the praises of this book. Aww. Uh, I'm, I'm upset with myself that I never bought the next, like, volumes of it. Uh, but it is an absolute fantastic read and something that... I really hope more people pick up, and I've always been inspired by, like, the hustle and, like, knowing that sometimes the hustle really pays off because it affected me this way. And I always kind of give back and say, like, yo, read this if you get the chance, because it's great. Aww. Yeah. Wholesome. (laughs) Laura, your final book. So for my last book, uh, I love a specific genre, uh, food memoirs. Mm -hmm. And I read this book pretty much once a year. Uh, It's about a woman who torches her entire life, runs away to Paris, and gets a degree from Le Cordon Bleu called The Sharper Your Knife, The Less You Cry. Yeah, I know how much you love this book. And it's become this double, like, it's... A book I own, because I eventually just bought a copy of it instead of getting it out of the library all the time. And it's also one of the first books I grab if I'm going to travel. And I don't know that I'm going to have a lot of time, but I want to have a book. Because I've read it so many times that if I pick it up and I don't finish it, Mm -hmm. I know what happens. Right. So it's also just been with me for a lot of like, you know, we took a big friend group Mm -hmm. trip to the shore. What book Mm -hmm. was I reading? That one. Uh, So, like, you know, on the plane, on my honeymoon, what book was I reading? That one. So it's kind of become this ultimately comforting book in my adulthood. Mm -hmm. Of uh, Because I used to love the book Julie and Julia. Right. And I still really love the movie, and I still find the movie deeply comforting. Mm -hmm. But every year, I, I, I know she passed away, and we're not, like, supposed to speak ill of people who have passed away, but I... How Julie writes her own Julie Powell writes herself. I know that she passed away. She did. Uh, she passed away this year. Oh, that's unfortunate. Uh, the way she writes herself, I can relate to less and less every year, and I mm. like her less and less every year. I mean, like she has this incredible, patient, kind husband who, if you read the sequel, she cheats on, mm-hmm. 
And it's very hard to be like, oh, he's really nice to you in this whole book while you're kind of a jerk. (laughs) And then you cheat on him once you get famous. And it's just, it's tough to... I mean, like, the the problem with books is they don't grow. Like, but you grow around them. Yeah. So, like, yeah, I mean, I I made this comment a few years ago where I decided I was going to start a Buffy rewatch. And I went, oh, my God, I'm relating far more to Giles than I am to Xander now. (laughs) Uh, So, like, it's the book will offer new things to you as you grow. Yes. Because you see them differently, which is... Cool thing about books. God, I want to write my book now. <laughs> yeah, this made me really want to write. Um, I've been working on... I've been perpetually working on this novel that I really don't think I'm ever going to do anything with. Because mm-hmm. now it's to the point where, like, if someone said something bad about it, I think I'd take it really personally. <laughs> yeah. um, and I have actually been on and off working on a book version of Stay Doomed for years. Yeah. Uh, then we keep watching more stuff, and then I keep adding more stuff. Mm-hmm. And there's, uh, I'm going, I'm digging back through our archives and re-listening to put in pieces. I literally quote us at one point. Yeah. During the Superstar USA chapter, which I wrote fairly recently. Uh, but books, like I didn't really have any real true nonfiction. Because even the food memoir, while nonfiction, uh, is written very much like a book, like a story, like mm. with quotes and whatnot. Right. Uh, I did really enjoy Mox, which was a nonfiction book I read. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have a pile, my to be read pile is embarrassing. <laughs> uh, I have so many books. Because I think the last book I read was called Action Park. Mm-hmm. And it was about. Uh, it was written by the son of the man who owned Action Park. Yeah. And what it was like for him to be a teenager with a run of Action Park. Right. He worked there and also, like, kind of just spent all of his summer there because his dad owned it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you liked... If you like theme park lore, I highly recommend that book as yeah. well. Of course, of course. And also just makes me want to read. Yeah. Yeah, it wants me to... It makes me want to, like, go into that giant to-be-read pile and start... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I recently discovered I, I still own and have not started Michael J. Fox's autobiography. I was like, I should probably. You've had that for a long this. time. Yeah, I put it somewhere to get it signed by Michael J. Fox, and then it never got signed, and then it never <laughs> left that bag. Yeah, so, that'll happen. Um, so my final one. Uh, I was a huge fan, believe it or not, in high school. Of Tuesdays with Maury. Okay. I really loved Tuesdays with Maury. And, like, it was something I had to read, I think, for, like, a uh, summer reading. And absolutely adored it. Uh, So when I graduated high school, my uh, good friend of mine, who... He's, like, my dad's friend, but, like, he's kind of like an uncle to me. Yeah, family friend. Uh... Bought me Mitch Albom's second book, or one or one of his books, uh, called "The Five People You Meet in Heaven." And because I was in college and I didn't have a lot of like time to read, I read it very sporadically. Mm-hmm. But it was really nice to like always have a book to kind of go back to. That kind of like. Brought me home for a little bit. Yeah. I love that both of our last one 
is not so much about the book itself and about how a book that just brings you home. Mm -hmm. I I kind of really love that. And, like, there's the image of the one character's wife, like, is burned into my mind. And I've always been so amazed at how clearly I see her for written word. Uh, Because I recently saw something like, what do you see when you read? Is everything crystal clear? Is everything dreamlike? Is everything, like, abstract? Or do you just read words and don't picture anything? And for the most part, I would say that I'm, like, abstract. But for some reason, there's, like, a sequence in that book that, like, I see everything. And it stays in my brain. And, like, I just remember, like, little writing things of, like... uh, She hid a smile, but her eyebrows went up. Like, little just, like... Yeah, little just discussions like that. And, like, really appreciated him as an author... Uh, and it always created the game, well, who were the five people you would meet in heaven? And to end this on a very silly note, uh, when I went and saw Kevin Smith speak, yeah, somebody asked him that. And he had clearly not read the book. Right. So he was just like, I, when I go to heaven, I only get to meet five people. Um, my parents, my wife, my daughter, and... Um, Lincoln. I heard he had a huge hog. And I was like, I love that as an answer. <laughs> I heard he had a huge hog. Jesus Christ. Uh, but yeah, it, I love that. Uh, it's also it's a it's a theme park book. The five people you met in heaven. It's about uh, a man who tests the rides in a theme park. Oh, yeah. It's a good book. It's really good. It's sweet. I, I have Simple. I have a couple books on hold at the library. I have the the fiction between us, which is like a love story set in a theme park mm-hmm. between like. Two, like, Ren Faire-esque actors who start to fall in love and their characters have a thing. Like, I was like, oh, that seems fun. And then the other one I have on my list, but it's not in at the library yet, is uh, Mr. Magic. Mr. Magic? And I wanted to talk about it a little bit uh, because it's a very stay-doomed book. Okay. Uh, It's about the children on a children's TV show, and the show ends in some kind of tragedy. And they come together years later, but there's no... Despite the show having a cult following, the show is lost media. Hmm. And I was like, this sounds like me. Because I know one thing we've discussed doing and, and have never really done is doing a Stay Doomed episode on something that's not a TV show. Yeah. Like a book that was clearly supposed to be a series, but there's only one book. Uh, a movie that was clearly supposed to launch a, the- a series, John Carter from Mars, but there's only one film. A video game that never had any sequels and stuff like that. And that's just always been on my mind, just to actually sit down and do that one time. But then we'd have to sit down and read a book, and I'm bad at doing that. It's tough to knock out a book and have content about it in a week. Yeah. So that's a little bit of a challenge. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, I... I love reading. I wish I did it more. Mm-hmm. I used to be the kind of kid who could just... I remember being the kind of kid who would come home from the library with a stack. Like a stack like that size. Yeah, I'm looking at your books now. In my tiny little arms. And I would, in two weeks, bring all of them back. Yeah. Because in two weeks I would have read all of those. Yeah. 
like I was just like a little tiny troll in our young adult section of our library. Well, uh, there was the one year you read 75 books in a year or something. I actually pulled that up to see. um, I read 37 books and 17 graphic novels. Yeah. So I read 54 books in one year. Yeah, because I remember you're going for 75, but then you picked up Game of Thrones and you're like, these count as four books. Yeah, Game of Thrones (laughs) ruined everything as far as that goes. And Mm. it was... A lot of, you know, graphic novels, it's like, ah, sure is a lot of Batman. <laughs> it It's literally out of the 17 graphic novels, one, two, three, four, five, six, I've pulled up the list, seven, uh, seven of them are Batman or Batman adjacent. Uh, yeah, I find... Oh, Avengers Arena. I forgot how much I liked Avengers, Avengers Arena. Yeah, we never finished that... Uh... That, that series, though, right? We only had the one book? Or did we get the rest of those? Because I remember I read it and was like, this is great. And then all of a sudden it was like, this book is over. <laughs> Where's the rest of it? I read 39 books because there's two on the list that say uh, next next up. And I know for a fact I've read both of those books. Oh, yeah. That's fine. Yeah, Slimed and Allegiant. Ah. Uh, yeah, because admittedly with a lot of these books, I, this was when I commuted by train Mm-hmm. And when you were commuting by train, I'd have like 45 minutes a day of train. And I didn't have a smartphone yet. Yeah. So I would just read. And I, I just, I miss that desperately. I miss the ability to just take 45 minutes in a day and read. Mm-hmm. Now if I'm like sitting there, I'm like, oh, I should really be doing X, Y, or Z. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start reading more. I have yeah. tons of books. Oh, Etiquette and Espionage. Oh, I loved that series. So that's going to do it for us here in Toon Out Studios. I read maybe, a lot of John Green that year. Maybe we can do this again just for comic books. Yeah. Because there's I, a lot of comics I want to talk about, so. Yeah, I didn't do any graphic novels because I almost felt like they should be their own episode. Mm. Well, I didn't want to pretend like comic books aren't books, so I included two. No, I did watch Mojo Rules where I try to... <laughs> you just try to make as much content as possible by making arbitrary rules. Yes. That's yeah. exactly what I meant by Watch Mojo Rules. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, we aren't sure what we're doing next week uh, because we always have to kind of figure out. One, we talk to the patrons and our Patreon helps us figure out what we're doing for this very weird era. Two, it's hard to plan too far out. Yeah. Uh, because maybe the uh, movie producers will start wanting to pay people. Yeah. Hopefully. Uh, as usual, we stand in solidarity with the Writers Guild and SAG-AFTRA. Woo. Uh, we hope that you guys are able to get what you deserve. Yes. Yes, indeed. Which is money. Yes. Lots of it. Uh, where can people find us? You can email us at the Stay Doomed Show at gmail.com or on Facebook and Twitter at Stay Doomed. And if you want to talk to me about your favorite Encyclopedia Brown mystery, I'm at Plus Two Comedy on X. If you want to talk about Animorphs just for any reason, uh, because I didn't talk about it, but I went through an Animorphs phase that was very significant. I am at Priorities on Twitter and Glitter and Glow Tape everywhere else. Until next time, tune out.